Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. In tonight's performance of Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters, the role of Pythagoras will be played by Buff Garfield. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined as I am always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, I do think that right up front, um, yes. we don't, I, I, I hesitate to put the buff Garfield before the horse, but it's probably <laughs> worthwhile. I don't know that in our actual discussion of, of myths and monsters that we will have time to explain that reference. So I figure right up front, we might as well just say, that if you, uh, perchance, look up the manual for Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters and you uh, go to page 31 of that manual, there is an illustration of the uh, character Pythagoras in this game, and it looks mm -hmm. like a drawing of a really buff, really swole Garfield, the cat. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> thank you for specifying the cat. I mean, just like the um, NES manual for the original Kid Icarus, um, this one is full of illustrations of characters that really don't look like what their <laughs> Not at all. Uh, counterparts <laughs> would suggest. But we, we will, Mark, we will dig into that in a moment. I'm glad we addressed it up front. Um, it, is, it is good that we do it because, look, you can't just throw out Buff Garfield and expect people to just be cool with it. It's a weird thing, so I'm glad we addressed it right away. Um, this is... I think we've done now maybe three episodes in the last two weeks where the cold open has involved me uh, pitching my voice way lower. Like there was, I did it for the, uh, uh, for the Darth Vader impression and I did it for the um, vibe, uh, vibe trailer, whatever we were talking about vibe reveal. That, that's what it was um, for Earthblade. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like my voice is so much quieter when it's low, but it's low. Do you know what I mean? I feel like you could uh, cut all of these cold opens together someday into a yeah. voiceover reel if you really wanted to. Ooh, Mark, consider it done. Speaking of things that we should consider done, the Sonic Forces borrowing program is alive and kicking. Would you like to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch? You can certainly try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com gmail and give us a mailing address so I can send you my copy of this game. You play it for as long as you want, and then you send it back. I pay for postage both ways. Twist, there might be Untitled Goose Game in the copy of Sonic Forces. Mark, there is, uh, I, I discovered as one of them have, has come back to me, um, there is a difference in the boxes uh, for the two different versions of, of this game that I'm sending out. Um, but I'm not going to describe, I'm not going to say what it is, but they're, they're, they are visually different from each other. So you... I mean, I guess I, I was going to say that you would know, I, but I could you would know. know. Yes. Yeah, you would know either way. Although that would be uh, impressive if it was like a double blind Sonic Forces borrowing program. That's right. I mean, I, I know, but the will of the program supersedes my own, right? So it, I just send it out to whoever's next on the list. Yeah, it's like a Ouija board that way. It's like you're moving it, but you're it's not moving it. <laughs> 
That's right. And your friends will accuse you of moving it, but you know that you're not. <laughs> you you know something else is happening. All right. Uh, also, this month is, of course, Kid Icarus Month. We talked about Kid Icarus. We're about to talk about Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters on the uh, like for the original Game Boy. And next week, we will, we will be talking about Kid Icarus Uprising on April 29th. That's a Thursday. Um, that's the biggest, that is the most modern of the Kid Icarus games. So if you haven't been joining us on the other ones and are just sort of listening as like weird historical curiosities, um, I understand. Uh, but Kid Icarus Uprising is a almost modern game that you can sort of play in 2021. So get on board. Um, it's uh, fun. and I've been enjoying my time with it so far. Mark, have you... I don't want to... Again, we're not talking about it today. <laughs> but uh, how are you feeling about Kid Icarus uh, Uprising so far? It's a really interesting game. Like, it's, uh, yes. yeah, it's really interesting. Also, it is mind-blowing to me that it's almost 10 years old. This game came out, uh, Kid Icarus Uprising came out in 2012, so it is almost a decade old at this point, which is pretty wild. Woo! Uh, okay, uh, but let's, we've been putting it off for way too long, a week, some would say. Uh, let's do it. Let's talk about the 1991 Game Boy Classic, Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters. <laughs> I guess first things first, do I have that year right? Yes. <laughs> uh, came out in North America, November 5th, 1991, and in uh, Europe, May 21st, 1992. Uh, never came out in Japan, um, which is sort of something that I, I wanted to start uh, here because I don't, this, look, for me personally, the, normally when we do these kind of like retro games, we want to spend a little time being like, what were your early experiences of this game like? Uh, what, how old were you when you first beat this game? Uh, Mark, I don't know about you. I didn't know this game existed until a couple of years ago. Yeah, me either. Um, you, I, like I talked about on our last Kid Icarus episode, I never played any of these games. Like, I didn't play the original Kid Icarus growing up. Like, it wasn't really a franchise that meant anything to me until Smash Brothers and occasionally reading about it in, like, Nintendo Power EG, or Electronic Gaming Monthly or something like that. So, no, this was completely new. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I first played this game a couple of years ago after Kid Icarus Uprising had come out um, on, on the 3DS, on, like, the, the, the virtual console there. Um, but, like, you know, 20 years, uh, at, or about-ish 20 years um, after it came out. Um, and, yeah, this is just one that, like, I wasn't, like, I, I don't know why. Uh, but I, I think this game just had like a smaller profile, right? Like, um, from the original not being that big of a hit in the states, um, to this net base essentially never being released in Japan. Um, I feel like it doesn't have it doesn't hold any esteem uh, anywhere, right? Like in any corners of the internet, um, you can find like making of documentaries of about just about any old retro game especially a Nintendo game, a first-party Nintendo game. Um, but, like, I was even looking for... Uh, I, I went through uh, Jeremy Parrish's uh, Game Boy Works um, video series where he, like, details the uh, just everything about so many Game Boy games. Uh, doesn't get to Kid Icarus of Myth and Monsters. Yeah, not yet. I think because it's a 91 game, I think he would have a while mm. to get there. 
But the thing that's... But like, really, though? Because 91 is two years into the Game Boy's life cycle. Like, it's not that it's not that late. Yeah, but he's he's chronicling, like, every Game Boy game. That's a good so, point. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. But I, I, I think it's so interesting. And again, I never would have guessed that this game wasn't released in Japan on its initial release. Because it isn't like a... Um, uh star tropics or something where it was made with like or at least seemingly it's not like it was made with like a western audience in mind like it's not like Pitt is also suddenly really good at baseball or anything like that um and so i and looking at anything i could find online there's no mention of why so it it even feels like in like nintendo was a little bit like shrugging their shoulders about this game which is interesting because i don't know how you were feeling about it patrick i uh when i was initially playing it like what what happened was i finished kid icarus on uh the 3ds classic version and then i basically dove right in to of myths and monsters and initially i was Mm -hmm. like i this was just too much like the first one i had to put it down for a little bit and i was dreading coming back to it but when i got back to it I actually really liked it. Like, I think it is an improvement on the first game for sure. Yeah. Well, so I, I had like one thesis statement about this game. Um, but, but, uh, but before we move totally off, like the sort of like mystery surrounding the, the development, I do just want to point out that the game is developed by uh, co-developed by Nintendo R and D one and uh, a Japanese development studio called Tose, um, who has like a, a relevant link to the present in that they are, the original developers of the Famicom uh, Mystery Club um, or Famicom Detective Club oh, games. Oh, okay. Um, so the fact that we are getting those now, uh, you know, remade for Switch is uh, interesting. But also, like, again, just to raise the, like, it's not as though it wasn't a Japanese game. Like, it's, you know, d- developed in-house by Nintendo and another Japanese developer. Weird that it never came out there. Yeah. Um, my thesis statement about this game and relating back to what you were saying about it being an improvement over the original, I do think this Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters is an improvement in every an improvement to every single criticism I have about the original Kid Icarus, but is somehow a worse game. Oh, you think so? Oh, that's interesting. I do think so. I do think so. Um it I, I don't know about like the zooming in on the character and this is just like a function of game boy right and something we saw for mario games and for um, metroid as well but like zooming in on the character and having the sort of like omnidirectional scrolling um so that you can like have the same size map even though you're zoomed in on it is so disorienting yeah no that is one thing that um i think is worse about the game and not just the, uh, like, I think having it be zoomed in, I think works okay. Init- again, going from Kid Icarus and jumping right in, which, again, I'm playing on the same, you know, like, 3DS yeah. handheld, and then going straight to Of Myths and Monsters, which, you know, same form factor, but is suddenly in, like, uh, looks so different because it's so zoomed in. Um, it was off-putting at first. I didn't end up minding it in the end, but the part that I didn't like about it is, you're right, like, uh, in the original Kid Icarus, it is very nice that uh, the vertical, like the levels where you yeah. platform vertically, like that is what you do. The platforms where you, or the levels where you platform horizontally, that is what you do. And for Myths and Monsters, where it 
just mixes everything up. Um, it's, it's just like one large map that you're kind of making your way around and just you're I, it just feels more like you're just stumbling everywhere yeah instead well, of like I mean, making deliberate choices yeah well the thing is it's it's a weird trick because it's the same right it's the exact same format as the original game right where um there are four worlds i guess the the, the fourth world is, is is different um in uh the game boy game um but the first three are all composed of uh, uh, three three worlds that are uh, either side or vertical scrolling, um, and a dungeon at the end of them. Um, and the first and third of those worlds are uh like vertical vertical scrolling, but because you're so zoomed in and the camera like moves with pit, you don't like it's it's so weird that the the wraparound that works in yeah. the original Kid Icarus is so apparent. You know exactly what's going on. Whereas you're so zoomed in in the Game Boy game that you do get the sense that you're just in an, 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 an infinitely large space, which can make a pretty simple map seem overwhelmingly big. Yeah, that's such a good point. Because this game carries, like you're saying, this game carries over the wrapping, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, mm -hmm. What it feels like is an attempt to... And I think you're right that this is not the intention. It's just an artifact of that zoomed in um like yes. focus. But it it make it makes it seem like it's an intention to make the levels feel infinite and feel like more of a maze. Where like I think I've been here before, like I think I've looped through this, but because you lose the context of like the overall geography of the map, yeah. Um, it's really confusing to be like, I have seen this before. So I must have like made like i must have crossed over that threshold of yes. like the screen wrapping but i like it's hard to suss out exactly where that is yeah and admittedly that's only a problem in the first in the first world right because like by the time you get to it in world three you've wrapped your head around what the game is right. presenting to you but like the my first this is my my first time actually playing the game and getting past world one right um and uh like I did not realize that's what the game was doing. I thought it was just like a huge open map and like couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah, same. Like you're saying, it really isn't until like you encountered it in the like world three or if you, again, like you're like, I, cause what happened to me is I kept like repeating areas where I would be like, oh, like yeah. I've been here before. Like I, I would make vertical progress, then I would fall off, but I would fall off like a different direction. But I would end up in the place that I was before, and it was just, um, it was just trippy. So I, I do agree with you that I think that part of it is like not as good. Uh, I, you know, I I wanted to ask you because I never played Metroid Two: Return of Samus on the Game Boy. I only played yeah. the 3DS remake, and that also has that kind of like uh, zoom in on Samus, totally. so you have less of a context. And I is is it kind of like the same problem as here in Kid Icarus, where it's just like, where am I? Or is it because those games are so different, like exploration versus more linear platforming, that it's not really the same problem? I, oh, boy. I, I mean, they, they're definitely related problems. But like to be honest with you, I don't actually remember what my experience of playing the original Return of Samus is, right? Because like, you know, it was 20 years ago that I, I played that game. And I was a child, <laughs> and I just loved it. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I I don't know. It's it's also pre um, Super Metroid, right? So before the series really like 
figured itself out, um, which uh, is, is something that we may end up talking about later is like, it's weird that the uh, Kid Icarus get, gets to this point of having a Game Boy sequel, but then, you know, until 2012, like, doesn't have another bite at the apple. Like, we don't get to see the sort of, like, interim steps of, like, what a Kid Icarus game could be. Yeah, and um, I when I, I was researching this, there was a, uh, like, Kid Icarus for the Super Nintendo in development oh at God. some point. Because it was mentioned in, like, Nintendo Power or something. And you have to wonder what happened. Maybe it was, the, again, like, the indifference to the Game Boy game. Um, but, yeah, like, what that would have done for the franchise. Because it does feel like, again, I think there are oh, so many improvements in mm-hmm. this game. Um, one of them is, like, the game is a lot more generous with health, which helps yes. a lot. Like, it uh, just randomly spawns when you kill enemies. Yeah, yeah, it randomly spawns when you kill enemies um, in every level, usually kind of by, like, the, the hammers in this game have, like, a lot more utility, too, because before you used them just for uh, centurions in fortresses, and you would hit the statues of the centurion, you would release them, and, th- and then in the end, the centurion would help you with the boss fight, help you in, like, scare quotes. Right. Until they get knocked out by nothing, and then you're on your own. <laughs> right. But in this game, the Centurions don't do that at all. There are Centurion statues scattered throughout the regular like platforming levels as well. And when you hit them, um, they usually reveal like items, and most often they reveal like little health power-ups. So it's yeah. much more generous with health. Also, in the levels, uh, there are hidden hot springs and uh like some of the shopkeepers or whatever will give you a hint also they are usually like by the entrance and so if you use your hammer on some of like the uh columns it's pretty easy to find yeah and that makes this game like so much more palatable when uh it's just so much more generous with health in the first game yeah well and there's also um i i don't know about you but like because we were approaching this game immediately after the original kid icarus i was a lot more methodical uh, early in the game to like kill a lot of enemies and get a lot of hearts early on so i could just buy stuff as i was uh en- encountering the power-ups um i did spend too much money on hammers which like you know you-, you say that they're more useful i think they're differently useful um i i really like uh getting as many centurions as i can even though i know they're not useful in the original game um but like here you know you have a, a couple spots where you like really should use the hammers to unlock secret doors or whatever. Um, but then, you know, not that many other uses besides it. But it means that, uh, you know, I would have enough hearts to do things like buy the key that would unlock all, all the doors that you'd previously gone in so you have a, a second chance to go into them. I, I like the way this game facilitated more exploration of these areas, um, not least of which is just the ability to double back on uh, areas you've already been to within uh, a single level right and that also made the platforming because again smaller oh uh yeah smaller aspect ratio so like uh, a little more challenging to figure out exactly where you're supposed to go but if you fell it wasn't as big of a deal because you're it fine. wasn't like the original game where once the screen advanced past certain platforms they were just lost to you so if you fell off the screen even if you were directly over an area where you knew a platform what should be just a few pixels below uh you were yeah. dead like it was just like you were gone and so th- that that does make it a lot easier i feel like in general it's not that the game necessarily like made things easier or even 
more clear. It's just like things made more sense. Um, And part of that was like, I just played Kid Icarus. And so to see the way that they would like tweak the things that happened in Kid Icarus, but in a way that you were like, okay, like I, I kind of get it now. And like, there are consequences to my choices. Here's a great example. I didn't actually finish this game. Um, I, I hit a point where I was unable to, because what I did in the first Kid Icarus game is I just blitzed through all the levels, right? Um, yeah. I didn't really spend that much time trying to kill enemies because I didn't really need to. In this game, I played using the same method. And so what I missed were um, like power-ups. So my, my power was really low. I got, to the, I got all the way to the uh, third fortress, to the boss at the end of the third fortress. But what happened was my power was too low. And because I wasn't killing enemies in levels, my health was too low because I hadn't scored sure. enough points. And so the la- that boss was basically unbeatable for me because I couldn't out, like, I didn't have the health to outlast it. And I wasn't powerful enough to kill it in, few- in like, um, fewer hits. And so yeah. I just hit like a wall where I was like, well, I, I would have to start over. And um, so like, on the one hand, that sucked because I did like, I hit a wall. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, that's how it should have worked. Like, that's right. like the that mechanics of the game, yeah. like working. Yeah, exactly. Well, and part of all of that is that like the scale of the game is different, right? Because in the original Kid Icarus, there are like four different power levels, right? Like, uh, and you, uh, it, each one is like a, a fairly noticeable, like it's double damage on each one. Right. Um, and, uh, when you're fighting bosses, you can see their life. Um, and so like, you know, that you're dealing five damage or, you know, whatever, uh, every time you shoot them, um, versus this one where like the bosses are just like damaged sponges and you have, it's, you're shooting into oblivion. You have no idea how much damage you're dealing, but I think the game goes up to, eight power levels eight or ten something like that um like you have so much room to grow in this game where the original game was like uh you're you're crap you're okay you're pretty good you're great like that's it you know um and this one is a lot more sort of uh granular um i felt like i was really digging in and you know building up my power level but i think i was only like six or seven by the end um and like you know, I, I hadn't I hadn't maxed my pit out, even though I did spend some real time grinding. This game also does like nice, just like nice little tweaks. Like before in the first game, uh, it's still this game retains the mechanic where you have made your way through the majority of a platforming level. You walk into a room and there's a god or whatever being like, "Here, I will level you up." Um, right. If you've like. Uh, and the formula isn't explicit, but it's like if you've killed enough enemies, you've gathered enough hearts, but like not too many, you're in that like right nice little uh, um, middle ground. But in the first game, if you didn't meet that criteria, you would walk into a room and nothing would happen. And so there was no explanation as to like it was right. just an empty room. In this game, you walk in and if you aren't like level up, the dude's like, sorry, like you don't like I don't have anything for you. And it's just like the right. little like tweaks like that where you're just like, okay, like it's giving me just enough information that if this was the first Kid Icarus game I was playing, like I would have a much better understanding of what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, one of the things I said about the first game is that it's a game with a lot of 
systems that the game itself is sort of too embarrassed to tell you about. And that's still sort of the case here, um, but it's at least more forthcoming with the fact that there are systems that you're not aware of, right? Yeah, totally. You know where I feel like the, um, the, the perspective hurts in the platforming levels the most is in the like treasure rooms or in any when you go into yes. any rooms because instead of having everything on like a single screen like even a shop you have to like the screen scroll has to like scroll around, and yeah. it's really like disorienting and doesn't feel right it i wish for even for just those rooms they would have zoomed back out to like that uh perspective from the first game so you get everything in that one view you know what? Uh, one of the things that like struck me uh, one of the first times I went into those rooms, um, a complaint I had of the original was that uh, you know the game frequently is using a visual vocabulary that like is not immediately intuitive. Um, so you're like, these things that are flying around the room, what are these, right? And I believe one of the examples I used was, why aren't they just bats flying around the room? And uh, of myths and monsters is like, okay. They're bats. Here you go. You can see that they're bats. You can intuit how they're going to behave because they're bats. They fly around. Um, and like I, I, I like and dislike the way this game simplifies the visual vocabulary in that way. There are a lot of enemies in this game that make more intuitive sense, um, but I feel like the game almost loses some of the, like, what the hell is going on here of the the previous game yeah i i agree with you and it's not just in like the visual vocabulary um one of the things that like on the one hand i was like this is really nice but on the other hand felt like a cheat coming from kid icarus was in the fortresses um you can tell where the hospitals are and so you know like uh in the fortresses in these kid icarus games there are eggplant wizards and if they're tossing eggplants and if one of the eggplants hits you, you get turned into an eggplant. And so you lose the ability to attack. And the only way that you can be transformed back to, into pit is by going to a hospital room, which are somewhere in the fortresses. And in the original Kid Icarus, like there were no visual cues or hints where a hospital was. You just kind of had to like be lucky and stumble onto it. But in this game... Or map it out for or yourself. Map it out, or map it out. Map the whole out. thing out for yourself. That's right. That's right. But in uh, of Mists and Monsters, they um, right before, usually like right before a room with eggplant wizards, there is like the room before, or right after it, there is a, a like big room with blocks, and the formation is so that like Pit in his human or an angel form is not able to pass. But if you're an eggplant, you are able to pass because you're short enough, and if you and so as the eggplant, you can pass through the shortcut and go directly to a hospital. And so again, it's nice because uh, being an eggplant is really annoying. But on the other hand, it feels a little bit like too much of a cheat. Yeah, uh, well, I, it's again, it's uh, so many of the changes and like improvements of this game. I uh, like and then hate and then sort of like again. Um, there is a part in the third world dungeon where you can get transformed into an eggplant and take like a shortcut um uh in the direction of the boss go to the hospital and then fight the boss like where you can bypass like a huge chunk of of of, of the, oh, the fortress interesting. if you know like what to take advantage of 
Um, and it's that kind of thing that like makes my heart start beating faster where I'm like, oh my God, being an eggplant can have an, like, there's an advantage there. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 the whole game is that, that feels like an embodiment of the whole game to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it does, it really does like give and take. Um, because one thing that, uh, in the original game, there were like the power-ups that you could get like the um mm-hmm. weapons like the uh arrow that'll shoot further the fire arrow and then like the crystals that kind of form a shield around you and in the first yeah. game they don't tell you this but you have to have three health like three bars of health and then whatever item you have will be activated in this game they tell you that you need like two three and four bars of health respectively but the difference is that if you don't have the those bars of health when you pick up the item, then the item is just of no use to you. Like, it's basically like you didn't right. pick up the item at, at all. And so it's another one of those things where you're like, okay, that is nice, but it was also nice in the first game where I didn't have three bars at the time, but once I got three bars, then the item kicked in. Right. It's also one of those things where you're like, okay, so I need four bar, four <laughs> full bars of health in order to use this shield. Like, if I've got four bars, what do I need the shield for? Like, it's so weird that, like, the game has this, and the original had this too, of, like, the worse you're doing, the worse you're going to do, right? Like, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't throw you any bones. <laughs> As you start failing, the game is like, well, you're on a path towards failure, and so long, sucker. Um, uh... Uh, another thing I wanted to mention, um, and I, I don't know if this is something that you will have noticed, Mark, because you were playing the 3D Classics version of Kid Icarus, um, but uh, they, the uh, like mechanic where Pit, as he falls, you can slow his descent by pushing the jump button and making his wings flap, um, is introduced in this game. Um, that is not in the original NES version of Kid Icarus. It is in the 3D Classics version, which is the thing that I think makes that game superior. Um, but uh, it's a nice little thing that they added in this game, like that they knew in 1991 that that was a mechanic that needed to change. Yeah, I I did notice it because uh, I after I finished the 3D Classic version, I hopped onto the Nintendo Switch mm, to like sure. try a little bit of the um, untouched version just to see like what the differences were and i immediately was like nope i'm not, I'm not like <laughs> not worth it not worth going through this again um yeah with like the 3d classics version really is the way to do it but playing these two games back to back it did make me realize that kid icarus the formula of kid icarus like isn't really sustainable because it's not that interesting like um like what like I, I am curious to know what a Super Nintendo version of this looks like, because if it is once again just like a vertical platforming, followed by horizontal platforming, followed by vertical right. platforming, followed by a fourth level that is different than either of those, it's like, that just isn't that, it's, it doesn't lend itself to the um, uh, like ability to be reinvented in the same way that like Mario or Zelda or even Metroid have. You know what I mean? I I do know what you mean, but I I, I feel like that's that's obviously how we've been describing them. So like you know it, it's fair, but it's also a little bit reductive of what the the game is attempting to do because it's like 
it's like three levels of action followed by one level of exploration, right? Like that that's really what what they're aiming for. And I think you see that more in like here's an action section followed by here's an exploration segment um in up <clears throat> excuse me, Kid Icarus Uprising, and we will talk about that obviously next week. Um this like clear delineation of like here is where your um you know twitchy like trigger reactions are being tested and here's where your ability to understand the space is being tested um and so like if that were being expanded in a super nintendo game or a uh an n64 game um that i could understand i think it just needed to be abstracted more before um being iterated on well i never got there but i would love to hear uh, I watched a video of it, but I'd love to hear your experience playing yeah. the fourth level because it, the, in this instance, it does seem much more dynamic than uh, yeah. the final level of the first game. Yeah, biggest change uh, is is the end of this game where uh, in the original Kid Icarus, the final level is sort of like a side-scrolling shoot-em-up um, where you're flying uh, and really all you can do is like uh, move vertically, horizontally, and shoot, and otherwise the game just sort of like scrolls to the right, um, and you just dodge out of enemies' ways and shoot enemies. In Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters, you are granted uh, the use of at least the Pegasus wings, um, which allow you to fly, um, and then uh, two other items that I was not leveled up enough uh, to to get to use, but they are the the mirror shield and the light bow. Um, and again, I didn't get to use them, so I'm sorry I can't report my experience on using them. Um, but it means uh, the 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 way you play these uh, the the last level of this game is it is a normal like side scrolling you know left to right level um, that is not an auto scroller and that does have like platforms that you land on. Um, so it's not it's not like a shoot 'em up level. It is like a regular. It's like the world two from Kid Icarus, except you have the ability to keep pushing the jump button to make pit fly. Mm. So it's like, it, it, it's, it, it's a little bit what I was asking for um, in the previous episode where I was like, I, I wish that you like actually, you know, felt the felt like getting the, the, the ancient treasures and like these new powers were actually powering up your existing pit instead of just like transforming him into something totally different and the game playing totally differently. Um, it feels like you're actually just playing a regular Kid Icarus level, but you're flying through it. Oh, that is interesting. Um, it also means that the final boss is based around like your ability to fly and like traverse uh, vertically as well as horizontally. Um, so the, the final boss is uh, it, it's called Orko, I, I, I believe, um, and he has two forms. Um, and one form is just like a, a, a kind of gargoyle looking dude who like kind of flies around the room and you have to like fly up and hit him and fly down and hit him. Um, and like, that's pretty cool and like dynamic and feels like a, a, a fun, like one-on-one -on -one fight. Um, and then in his second form, he grows to like two screens tall um, and you have to like fly up and shoot him in the head and then like dodge out of the way of his like giant arms and like he shoots things out of his tail and stuff. Um, like it feels like a proper pit versus kaiju fight, um, and that's just so much more interesting than the end of the original Kid Icarus. Yeah, where like Medusa's just a static. It's an impressive, yeah. like large 
looking character, but it's just static um, on the right hand side of the screen. And, you know, it's shooting mirror things at you or like lasers at you. And you're just, you can find like a sweet spot and where uh, she can't hit you with her attacks. And you just like, you got to find that sweet spot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, let's, let's talk about the bosses in this game in general, because the bosses at the end of the fortresses, um, like the first one, Thumbs horrible. Down, <laughs> the second one I thought was like a piece of cake, though. It was crazy in comparison to the first yeah. one. So the first one is a minotaur, uh, and it's it's a large sprite, and it's just like jumping around the screen. Again, this game is does not benefit from the fact that like the uh, bosses can travel off of the screen, and so you have to either just like sit there and wait while they're doing whatever they're doing off screen, or you can like hazard to go after them but it's there's no real benefit to it yeah well and you're almost certainly going to get hurt um and the 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 way that the minotaur attacks is like he's got these like arcing like fireballs or something that he throws um and so like you always have to he throws three and then there's a pause and he throws three more and you just have to like figure out where that pause is and kind of traverse through it in order to not get hit um all while you know unloading um arrows into him um Mark, before we move on to talking about not the Minotaur, can we look at the sprite for a second? Because there is part of the Minotaur I don't understand. Um, does he have an enormous Audi belly button? <laughs> Do you know what I... Th- uh, I think I think it's supposed to be his knee protruding from the other side. Because if you look at like the illustration I see, in the manual, I okay. he has like a little like point on his um right knee that i think is being communicated with that little point but it does look like he has an enormous enormous audi belly button well because he's also he's got a belly he's got like a rotund belly which is awesome i love it (laughs) he should uh, like all minotaurs should always have a big jolly belly i think that's great Um, but yeah, just fighting this thing and fighting it for too long, because again, it's a damage sponge, um, that just takes way too many hits to kill. Um, I was grossed out by this uh, Audi belly button (laughs) the the whole time. Well, I, what I love so much is, um, again, you were, like you were saying in the beginning that if you look at the sprite versus like the artwork that's in the manual, like very rarely do the two meet. And I think that (laughs) is true of, uh, most of the bosses. The second boss actually kind of nails it, but the first one, the Minotaur, um, the sprite, you like you're saying he has a belly, like he looks a little bit like uh, you know, he has um pandemic body, but in the illustration, it's like his dating profile photo where he's like super buff. He's at like the peak yeah. of um his performance. Same with like the stage three boss, the uh fire serpent, the illustration kind of has like this fire serpent giving you like come hither eyes a little bit mm-hmm. and that is not the case in the sprite itself. No, the the sprite's pretty derpy. Um but the the let's talk about the the second boss, um the skull wing which uh in naming it I have also described it perfectly <laughs> because it is a skull with two wings. Um yeah, really a a pushover, right? Like easy to fight uh even with its damage sponge like properties. Uh, sort of easy to anticipate where it's going and how to dodge its attacks. Um, like, and kind of feels appropriate. I don't know about you, but anytime I get to the end of these um, Kid Icarus dungeons, uh, I've 
I'm I'm like I'm done with my experience with it. I'm like I want to move yeah. on to the next part. Um, and the fact that there's a boss like, you know, stubbornly stopping me from seeing what's next, uh, just makes me mad. Um, but I was happy to just uh, dispatch with this one pretty easily. Totally, like I I definitely don't think boss battles are a like a virtue in either of the Kid Icarus games we've played so far. Yeah, and so the ones where you can just like get rid of them really quickly are so nice because the other ones just feel like they take an immense amount of damage before they die. And in this game, there's no, like in the original Kid Icarus, the game tells you how much health the bosses have. So it counts down from a hundred in like a little um, counter in the corner. Whereas it, you have no idea in this game, how close you are to dispatching one of the villains or not. Which leads us to the third boss, the Fire Serpent, the one that I was not able to beat, um, despite my best efforts. And I have no idea how close I got. I feel like I had to have gotten, like, kind of close a few times, just because I, like, was in there forever trying to, like, whittle down its health. But eventually, like, I I just died before I could get there. Yeah. Yep, and that's uh, that that's legit. You know, I I did a I dropped a, a save state like right before going into that room. I was just like, okay, here we go. I'm just gonna keep trying this until I get it right. Um, and uh, I I forget how this one attacks. Is it just like kind of fly around the room? Yeah, so it's just so it's flying around the room, and it's um, uh, the the way it moves is kind of based on where you are. So it's always trying oh, to yeah, kind of yeah. make its way towards you. But it's not a direct line. It comes goes in kind of like a sine wave pattern. And it uh, shoots fireballs out of its mouth, kind of in the same sort of arcing pattern as the Minotaur does. Then it also has a tail that is fire. And so either like getting hit by the tail will damage you or the arc of the fireballs will damage you as well. So you kind of have to just like, um, a, like basically my mode of attack was just kind of hiding in the corner. And then when it would come down, like uh, try to get a, like one or two shots in b- yeah. before just like trying to hide back in the corner to avoid the fireballs. Um, Mark, did, did you consult any um, resources or like strategy guides, walkthroughs uh, wh- while playing this game? I did, or I tried to. I, um, there are not that many in existence on the yes. internet. Yes, this is another thing that feeds into the legend of no one played this game. Um, I, I went to uh, IGN to look for their walkthrough, and their walkthrough is like an old uh, FAQ from a long time ago, <laughs> um, and I imagine it's the only walkthrough for Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters uh, on the internet. It's got to be the only one. Yeah, the one I found, I think, was on Game FAQs, and it, uh, it, w- it was one that somebody had written like a long, long time ago, and what I was wanting to use it for is like, figuring out the point value that I needed to hit in order to um, yeah. get to where I was going. And then also I wanted to figure out like, uh, you know, there would be characters in some of the rooms that would occasionally say something like, look by the two columns to find like a secret space. So I wanted to figure out what the deal with that was, which of course is where like the hot springs are in each level where you can right. uh, heal yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I was just thinking, uh, as you were describing your uh, tactics for fighting the fire serpent, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I read, uh, I think I read that advice as well. Like, I, I'm, I'm certain that the FAQ you consulted and the FAQ I consulted, though they were in different places on the internet, were the same FAQ. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mark, what, what, what do you think? Uh, who, which game has the better bosses? Uh, this one or uh, the original Kid Icarus? I think the original Kid Icarus has like the better fortress bosses. They're not yeah. good, but they're at least like a little more interesting. And I don't remember them being as like bullet spongy or as frustrating. Or maybe just being able to tell how much progress I was making made it feel Helps, like yeah. it wasn't overstaying its welcome as much. How about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I also think that, again, I know the Centurions don't help that much. They peace out after getting hit one time, uh, so they barely deal any damage. But just having, like, any help going into a boss fight feels better than uh, approaching any of these guys. I do think there's something more... I, I like seeing that Minotaur. Like, there's something visually about the the character here that, again, like, goes into the thing where it's like, this, the visual vocabulary of this makes more sense to me, is more immediately obvious, but is, like, less head-scratchy, and I sort of like the head-scratchiness. Like, when you get to that third, uh, that third dungeon boss, uh, and they call it Pandora, but it's just, like, a weird floating head, um, I don't know what that is, but, like, it's interest. It's more interesting to fight. So I, I think I think the originals are on balance better. But I'm glad that these are added to the uh, the 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 boss. Uh, you know, I don't know milieu there. To your point about the centurions, I think it's weird that they got rid of the like centurion statues in fortresses, and those um, like will come and help yeah. you at the end of the book. Like, I think it's weird they got rid of that entirely. It doesn't feel like it has to be a, we'll have them in the regular levels and they'll give you health, um, but we're completely excising them from the fortresses. It feels like it could be both. Because that is one mechanic that, like, yes, I, I, it was not super helpful in the first game, but it was cool. And it gave you a reason to, like, yeah. take risks in the fortress to say, like, okay, like, there is a centurion there. And I could just get through this room as fast as possible, or I could figure out, like, how am I going to free that Centurion? Because I know that it'll help me in the end. It just needed, like, a little more tweaking, because these bosses are so bullet spongy anyways. They just need a little more tweaking to, like, make the Centurions, I think, a little more helpful in the end. But I really wonder yeah. if it just came down to, like, screen real estate. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's such a shortcut to like emotional relevance of like here's an ally that you can free who will help you in the boss fight it's uh, it's it, it just works it's a mechanic that emotionally works um whether or not it actually does much to the bosses and it's 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 a bummer to see it missing here um all right uh mark do we have any other thoughts about kid icarus of myths and monsters you know, I, I came into this like pretty positive on it. As we're the more we talked about it, it is such a mixed bag. I still think, on the whole, it's more enjoyable than the original Kid Icarus. But I think some of the joys of it are being able to compare it directly to the original Kid Icarus. And mm -hmm. um, I think if you played it just like divorced of it, I don't know what the experience would be like. On the one hand, I still think it's obtuse. I still think that it like doesn't explain itself enough. But when you are comparing it to the first game, it feels like it's like overflowing with information. It, it's a weird one. It's a really, really like I'm glad I experienced it after all this time. But it's not one that I'm like I, I don't I don't consider it a hidden gem. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, is it, your uh, invocation of uh, a hidden gem there um, makes me wonder, like, are, are these, these two games, right, which are obviously, like, relics of, uh, you know, game design, you know, lo- long left behind, um, are these games worth revisiting now, right? Like, I think we've both had fun playing the, the first two Kid Icarus games, right? Um, but they are both frustrating experiences frequently. Um, and I, 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 I just, I do think that like overcoming that hurdle of frustration has been worth it for both of these games. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I, I do a little bit. I think I felt that way after the first game where I was like, I'm glad I did this. Um, and I'm glad like I finally had a chance to play this. The with the second game with the Mists and Monsters, um, it has made a lot of quality of life improvements. But for me, it is too much like the first game to really feel yeah. like worth it on its own. Like I would just if I wanted to play one of these yeah. again, I would just play the first game for sure. Yeah, well, and especially with the um 3D classics uh version of it, where like there is a like nice shiny um modern-ish version of it to play um like de- definitely uh if if you are interested if any of our talking about kid icarus has gotten you interested in these classic games like that's uh the the one to check out um all right mark let's close out our discussion of kid icarus of myths and monsters All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Um, next week, we will be discussing Kid Icarus Uprising, uh, the final game in the Kid Icarus series. Mark, can you believe that we're playing a whole series here? That's so weird. In three weeks. <laughs> well, four weeks because we took a break. Um, <laughs> so anyway, if you're playing along with us, uh, you've got a week to play uh, this 3DS game. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And I said subscribe, but that's not what's happening now. Uh, is follow us on Apple Podcasts. Um, subscribing is something different now. Um, if you like this episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. Uh, we appreciate it. When you do, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE. Mitchell on the show is at NinCart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. Rachel, do you like Disney movies? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen all of them? Yeah, we saw all the Disney animated movies. And we saw all the Pixar animated movies, too. How about the DCOMs? What? What? The Disney Channel original movies. You should listen to our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault, because we are watching all of them in chronological order. Yeah, and we do fun segments like we cast each other. That's right, and my favorite segment, Zaddy Watch, where we rank every single DCOM daddy. 
Ooh, you can listen to all this fun stuff on our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, let's get back in the vault. It's cold out here. <laughs> Campfire. <laughs>